welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, we are here t- uh, today, very honoured to be uh, guests in the uh, house of <laughs> comedy legend. He'll hate As in that. not real, you mean legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the myth that is, but it's very real because he's sitting next to me here, uh, it's Barry Cryer. Hello, Barry. Hello to you, whatever your name is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, well, I'm Dave, and here to talk to you, and we're actually, you know, most people, I think, who listen to sitcom geeks will know you. Uh, I'm Barry Cry. You probably know me for I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. That's probably the main reason people know you. We, we really want to talk to you uh, about your phenomenal writing career, uh, which isn't something that, that always comes up. But uh, I mean, we'd just actually like to start by obviously talking about I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, which is 45 years old this year. 1972, yes. Uh, is that started. older than you, James? It is, I'm afraid, older than me. <laughs> and um, younger than me, obviously. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, was born uh, before James. Yeah. And as, as strong and successful as it was from day one, really. I, I mean, was was launched as a, a spoof of panel shows. Um, yeah. Which, as we'll talk about in a bit, you know, you 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 have form with uh, spoof panel shows, but uh, I'm sure lots of people have asked you. But how, what what do you think is the secret to the long longevity of the show? We've no idea. We're we're not complacent. We're just very happy. When it it's basically was a spin-off from I'm sorry I'll read that again, yeah. and Graham Garden, Timbrook Taylor, Bill Oddie and the gang had got lucky and were doing telly and stuff, and BBC Radio wanted a series, so. Graham devised this uh, chaotic panel show that didn't need scripting fully and didn't need a lot of rehearsal. (laughs) And uh, so that's how it came about. Uh, And then lately we've been doing a stage version of it and the BBC said, you can't use the title. Graham hadn't registered it. He didn't own it. He'd thought of it. (laughs) A lot of the current younger ones own their shows, which I think is great. (laughs) Uh, but uh, that's what happened. But when it started, I wasn't in the first series officially. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, it was uh, Bill Oddie, John Cleese, Joe Kendall, the actors, Tim Brooke Taylor, permutations and all that. And uh, there, there were suits at the BBC saying, Humphrey Littleton, he does jazz. That's, <laughs> you know, he can't do a comedy show. But, you know, they, they persevered mm-hmm. uh, with... The great Humph, and Humph couldn't do two recordings of the first series, so they got me in to be chairman. So I've got a no. uh, an old tattered cutting from the Radio Times, black hair. <laughs> I was chairman twice. Then John Cleese, Bilotti, and Joe Candle. Led, oh dear, dear Bill used to throw up before a recording, uh, and then the there was a, a crisis. David Hatch, the original mm. producer, said. Uh, Oh, they could put this out on Boxing Day when everybody's pissed, you know. <laughs> it was regarded not as a, much of a proposition, funny enough. And then it got worse. People were leaving, and they got me and Willie Rushton in. And then it started up. And that's Tony Abbey, a guy called Tony Abbey. Anyway, there was one four-tile corner at the BBC, and they did the first series, and it seemed to click in, and it's been there ever since. But it wasn't... Uh, an auspicious start. No, right. a little anecdote, a little known anecdote. Actually, Barry and I went to the same school, not at the same time, I should point out. Um, but um, 
when I was uh, a teenager in Leeds in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, uh, there was a show on Yorkshire television that was a huge success. Uh, the show was uh, Joker's Wild, which was 1969. That, that yes, show began. we made. Oh God, we, we made about 200 or something. But that was that somebody's was, yeah. uh, lovely guy called uh, Harry Holland has sent me a load of DVDs of Joker's Wild, oh, which I've been watching. And boy, people who did it, all male. I don't yeah. remember a woman doing it. Yeah. That was another age. It wouldn't be yeah. like that now, thank no. goodness. But, you know, Ted, Ray, Arthur Askey, yeah. Les Dawson, Ray Martin. Oh, Ray Martin. God, oh, yes, boy. And then there'll be people like uh, John Cleese. And, yes. Uh, and, I, and I just always remember this moment, you know, you have to do, get a subject. Okay, It's a bit like sort of Mock the Week. Became, you know, yeah. Okay. This the next subject is uh, mother-in-laws, and they'd all come on and do that. Oh, my mother-in-law, or and um, John Cleese. I, was, I remember he'd sort of sit there in a suit reading the paper for that, <laughs> and he'd go. I can tell um, you the origin of that. Yeah. We went. We used to get a breakfast train from mm-hmm. Kings Cross up to Leeds or Newcastle. It was shared, but it was Newcastle. It was called back then. Trident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was called. Right. The Monopolies Commission stopped them. Yorkshire right. and Time to Anyway. Yeah. John sat in the breakfast uh, compartment and Ted Ray and Arthur Askey were having breakfast. <laughs> bang, 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 the chat was going on. John was sitting opposite with his hands over his ears reading a book <laughs> and he apologised. He said, please, I just, I was so nervous about doing the show and I couldn't cope with your company because you're wonderful and all this went on. So we got to Leeds and I said, John, do that on the show. He said, what? <laughs> I said, do it on the show, be reading a book. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So on the show, uh, somebody told a joke, and uh, I said, uh, and your subject, uh, Mr. Cleese, mother's-in-law. And he slowly put a bookmark in to the page, closed the book and said, what? (laughs) I said, mother's-in-law. Oh, my God, what are you talking about? And then told a joke that we'd furnished him with. And he loved it in the film. I remember the joke. Yeah. I wouldn't say my mother-in-law is fat, but she is. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and that's... And that's that's right. one of those Basic things, statements. you know, little moments. That but what, you do, you know what, do you know what that feels like, though? That, that sound, that scenario sounds like... It seems incredibly modern. I know I'm sounding old by saying that. Is um, 8 out of 10 cats does Countdown. Yeah. Where yeah. they have panellists doing completely their own thing yeah. and sort of almost rejecting the show. And then, you know, it's yeah. things that they bring as, mm. as, um, as, as mascots and all that kind of things. And they, they completely... And it is always amazing to realise that it's all been done before. <coughs> yes. Yeah. And that this is... A, what, what year was this, 1969? Probably, uh, yes, the early right 70s. Through to 73. Yeah. And it was shown endlessly after that, regionally. Right. And... People would say, oh, I saw Joker's Wild last night. I'd say, what? <laughs> I said, we finished in 1973. <laughs> right. There was a wonderful character called Fred Emney, oh, yes. cigar-smoking and monocle, comic mm-hmm. actor and everything, and he did Italian it. Italian job, I remember. And, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And Jack Douglas, who was carry-on films and everything, and been half yeah. a double act and all that, uh, Jack was on, and he t- and Les Dawson was on, and uh, I said, Mr Douglas, your subject, Eternity. So he started talking and then said, the best definition of eternity is waiting for Les Dawson to buy a round. (laughs) And whether they'd set it up, if they had, they didn't tell me or anybody else, Les walked off (laughs) on camera. So the director, apparently, David Mallett, said, keep rolling. 
So we could start fooling about telling jokes. Les came back from the bar with a tray of drinks <laughs> for everybody except Jack Douglas. But I mentioned Fred Emney, uh, also involved in Jack Douglas, actually, as I remember. Mr. Douglas, your subject, the seaside. So Jack Douglas starts, and we'd prepared the interruption. Jack Douglas starts talking, and I woke up and said, interruption by uh, Mr. Emney. Is this uh, subject the seaside? I said, yes, it is, yes. I live at Bognor Reaches. Just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this is this great stuff that was actually going out there. And, and, and it felt more like, and it wasn't so much that there were that many comedy panel shows around at that time. It was more, I suppose, things that were around, like there's a question of sport and things. Yes, sort of yeah. Slightly, or jukebox. Oh, and there was the comedians on Granada. Yeah, that was more just well, gags. That was, that was um, straightforward. So, yeah. What's my line as well? And I mean, it's... I'm not that old, Jack. But, but, but that, that had established <laughs> yeah. and ran for quite a long time yeah. and sort of established that as a format. Mm. And it was so successful and it was watched by everybody mm. that you could then start to vary it and everyone knew what the rules were mm. so that when somebody went off to the bar to buy a round of drinks yes. and come back with it, yeah. it was incredibly yeah. funny. because But, know, that's not but they to tried happen. to revive Joker as Wild. Well. Uh, Richard Morton, yeah, yeah. hair my colour even then, and he was yeah. much younger than me. And Paul, a, a young youngish Paul Merton yeah. and they asked me and Ray Cameron who uh, mm. worked on it uh, mm. to help with this pilot and it didn't work because mm. it was younger comics doing material not jokes yeah. and yeah. it's not quite the same no. when you interrupt somebody's mm. set their routine it's much easier to interrupt when somebody says this elephant went into a pub <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's more straightforward yeah. and it, it was done yeah. it didn't happen yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was a show similar to that called uh, Gag Tag. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. Which, yes. But that required a, an elder statesman uh, in Bob Monkhouse uh, yeah. to really make that work. And um, we had a round on Sorry, I Haven't a Clue about heading for the tag of a joke. And then yeah. that was a, a child of Jokers Wild, really. We'd interrupt yeah. each other when we were telling jokes, trying yeah. to get to the punchline first, you mm, know. Right. Yeah, because I was because um, again, um, taken as a, a point to get to this uh, to come back to talking about the, your writing career. But it seems to me that you know, if I sort of sum up your writing career, it's like, well, yes, I can write for all the people who get watched by millions and millions of people, whatever. I can do that, but I'm at my happiest when I'm subverting the genre. Is that would you say? Yeah, that's a and fair? I was always. I'd started as a stand-up. We didn't call it that then. You were an mm. actor, a term. Right. And then, lucky break, dog by good luck all my life, I, I went into writing. And I can't really remember how it really happened. So the writing was a great period. Uh, but I was still doing bits of performing. Mm. And uh, people say to me now, when I'm interviewed, they say, you wrote for everybody. I say, we wrote for everybody. There was a gang of us, and I hardly ever wrote alone. It was wonderful. You know, Python before they were Python, the mm. goodies before they were the goodies, and the great Dick Vosper, the American yeah, I worked yeah. with. and <clears throat> David Frost, who I called a practising catalyst, <laughs> brilliant with people. Graham Chapman always wrote with John Cleese. We knew that. That was a set-up. Frosty spotted something about me and Graham. we become mates. And he put us together to write. And we, mm. Graham and I said, what? We wrote over 50 shows together subsequently. Frost did that. 
And John Cleese used to say to Graham, are you being unfaithful to me with Baz? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because I I, I was just actually looking up um, Graham's uh, autobiography, the the Liar's Autobiography, it's called, and uh, there was little bits that I vaguely knew. Um, I mean, one of the one of the things we want to talk about is uh, writing sitcom and, and, and advice to young writers. It's kind of reading Graham's version of the, the sitcoms that you wrote. It's like um, if the, the, the advice that you could give is make sure you get the script written before the pub opens. Yes. <laughs> Bless his heart, yes. I used to go to... Uh, it was Ormond Court in Hampstead and then Southwood Lane in Highgate, and I would mm. arrive about 10 in the morning. Oh, dear Gray, you know, do you drink much? No, I spill most of it. <laughs> and he'd be pouring something into a glass of something else. And I said, OK, great, right. And we'd, an hour and a half or two hours, he was so creative. He was great on construction, which I wasn't about. Oh, and then I could, then I'd tell you what will happen, he'd say. And about noon, ooh, just the one. <laughs> and we go to the Angel in Highgate, and that was the day gone. Right. The friendship survived, thank mm. goodness. Uh, and then did, he was. Did that involve you though? Going, your, um, um, the writer in me is, is sort of twitching here. Did, but he goes, you have a couple of drinks, and then you creep off and start writing up all the stuff that you talked about. Or were you basically? Oh yes, writing... I would write up later yeah. what we'd actually talked about, and it would spark off one or two more thoughts, and then we get together and knock it into shape. Mm. But bless his heart, it was trying to survive on an hour and a half or two hours a day mm-hmm. and it wasn't working and then of course came the crisis crunch with dear Graham and he was on aversion pills and everything so he would throw up if he had a drink and Python were all watching him when they went away to film bless his heart and uh, and that was it he'd still come to pub with me when he stopped drinking and I thought going into the ambiance of a pub you know, and he was one of the, like Barry Humphreys, yeah. you don't say I was an alcoholic, I am an alcoholic, mm-hmm. it's just that I don't drink anymore. And dear Graham would come to the pub, the ambiance, the atmosphere mm-hmm. of a pub must be quite upsetting if you <clears throat> used to drink and you don't. Mm-hmm. Here, do you want another thudding name drop? <laughs> Keith Moon. <laughs> Couldn't believe it one day. It's me and Moon and Graham in the Angel. And I think Keith had a, a lager or something. And, uh, and he was talking quite quietly. He was chatting away, and I thought, this is Keith Moon, fine. And he suddenly said to me, I think they want a bit of mooning, not dropping his trousers, a bit of yeah. moon-like behaviour. And he went, Aah! and threw his glass, and it broke on the They didn't evict him. They said, Keith, behave yourself. And they cleared the mess up. And when we left the pub, Keith Moon leaned over the bar and said, how much do I owe you for the glass? <laughs> I said, your image has gone out the window. <laughs> Rock and roll. Yeah, Rock like roll. Oliver Reed years ago, uh, Parky yeah. did a brief series on ITV, and I arrived at the green room, and there was Ollie Reed. And he wasn't drunk. We were chatting away. Come on, you two, come on. Mm-hmm. So we went down to the studio. Ollie and I were whispering conversation behind the camera, and the man beckons at Ollie. It's his turn to go on. And he went into his app. Walked on, punched a hole in the polystyrene set. Henry Cooper was sitting there with Wendy Richard, the actress. Ollie and Henry had done the film of Flashman. And Ollie went, Henry, my dear old John. And aimed a punch at Henry's chin. Chaos 
it was amazing. He had to stop the recording and start again. And Henry said to me afterwards, he said, the punch was immaculate. It was a film punch. It missed my chin by an inch, but you couldn't see that on the camera. Incredible. Making himself look unemployable, going into... <laughs> he did yeah, drink yeah. like a demon did, afterwards, yeah. but they said not when he was working. Yeah. But I was with the man before he wasn't drunk. Yeah. It fascinated me that. Yeah. Anyone would think that he was a talented actor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it, amazing. Yes. But yeah. I mean, but get, you're, you're making yourself unemployable on yeah. television, yeah. aren't you? I'd be is it a cry for help? What yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to go back to uh, writing with Graham Chapman, but also writing with um, you know numerous people. And it does feel that this is one of the things that carries over into today in terms of now lots of writers will find work writing for a sitcom which has a comedy name in it and I've worked yes. with, on Miranda with her and I've worked with yes. Milton on his radio show um, but it'd be interesting to know from your point of view how to you know what your tips are for working with people where they are the star and you are trying to help them yeah. Um, and sort of, you know, create something that's even more them than they are or, or something like that. Yeah. What sort of, I mean, presumably everyone's slightly different, so there isn't a one Well, I always said you're like a tailor making suits. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to hear the voice in your head and see them. When John Junkin and I were writing for Eric and Ernie, mm. there's always a sitter and a walker. I've talked to young ones about this, and it's still true. Now it would be the laptop or whatever. Mm. In those days, it was me scribbling on a bit of paper or an old typewriter or something. Yeah, Dennis and Norden's... The other one would be walking about. Yeah. Yeah. And John Junkin used to walk around the room wagging his glasses, being Eric Morgan. Oh, right. And it's just, that's all I could say. You, you match the client, the same routine or plot done by four or five different people would be totally different because you're writing for them. Mm. The breakthrough was when the sitcoms and things, they didn't have a comedian starring. Steptoe and Son, you know, two actors. This was mm. a breakthrough at the time. If you had, you know, Ronnie Corbett uh, or somebody starring, you, a comic starred mm. in your sitcom. Mm. But suddenly it's all different. No, actors... And not jokes, it was character. It was fascinating, the great Goldman Simpson. Oh, just superb. Yeah. Mm. Oh, do you want to know my favourite funeral story? <laughs> why, 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 why are you leaping to a funeral story? I know, you see, I'm always relevant if you'll wait. <laughs> yeah. uh, Alan Simpson, we've just lost Big Alan recently. Oh, dear. And Dennis Main Wilson, the great producer, Hancock stepped on everything. Marvellous character, he used to have a a glass in the crook of his arm, another glass in his hand, and use his other arm for waving at you. <laughs> the great character, Dennis goes. We're all at the funeral. Dennis is there in the coffin. Big Alan Simpson stands up to speak. We thought this is going to be dry and funny. No. It was that corny old thing by the Reverend, somebody or other. I am not gone. I am just round the corner. Laugh as you always did. I mean, you did a pin drop. <laughs> we thought, okay, respect. Uh, and he finished it, and he turned to the coffin, and he said, I told you, Dad, not a fucking laugh in it. <laughs> that's great. It was superb. That's holding your nerve, isn't it? The stunned yeah. silence, and then the laugh. I thought, talk about getting it right. <laughs> it was a wonderful moment. That's a great commitment. Yeah. But you're right in terms of that they really did um, uh, bring something new in with the use of actors, mm. and it feels like we've... 
now moved away from that to some extent, at least as far as studio sitcoms yes. are concerned. It's like Lee Mackin going out, mm, isn't yeah. it, and all that. Yeah. It's uh, mm. it's interesting. Graham and I wrote sitcoms, which we're quite proud of. Sorry mm. by our mates, you know, mm. Ian and Peter was brilliant. But we were pretty sorry. Well that's that, that's what I was really Yes, and Ian and Peter about. just yeah. we're all old friends, they just said, Oh, we nicked the uh, Dominating mother from you and Graham, <laughs> played by the same. Well, you, what, on, what, what I didn't realise was I, I knew about no, that's me over here, but I hadn't. Uh, I didn't know about um, now. Look here, which was the which was yes. the sort of follow up, and then both of these shows, uh, Ronnie Corbett's playing <coughs> Put Upon Sun, Rosemary Leach's playing that's right. his, his mum, um, and both effectively were the the, the prototype for Sorry. Yes, <laughs> and that yeah. was. Uh, and what the other thing that was really interesting, I thought Graham uh, mentioned in his autobiography, he said um, David Frost managed to get this show commissioned, uh, the first one, uh, That's Me Over Here, he said because nobody had ever done a middle class sitcom. And he said that, and and that's how he got it commissioned. Though. And it, I was trying to think if there had been a thing. Well, there's Terry and that. June. Was that after that, that? Was, that? Would have been after, which I assume. And then Good Life and all those yeah. came along, mm. which uh, so, middle class. Yeah, mm. we never weren't analysing at the time. Obviously, mm. we yeah. were just uh, happy to get some work. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. what I am. Yeah. Is, is it yeah. on? Great. See yeah. you Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm curious also to know. I mean, you know, and I know. I, I, the only way that I knew David Frost again in those sort of teenage years in the seventies, David Frost was this joke character that everybody took the piss out of mm. on Monty Python and on the radio. He always does badly in the memoirs. Yeah, and <laughs> and the, the more I'm hearing and seeing, he he sort of, as far as I can tell, effectively controlled light entertainment. He was superb. I say the mild line, the practicing catalyst. He was superb with people. Mm. He just could. Mould a team and see who could work with him or her, and he was just amazing. And his memory, he always remembered when he last met you what your wife partner's name was, what you were doing. He was just astonishing, and he was massive. I mean, what other TV host helped to bring down an American president? <laughs> <laughs> and we used to do a joke about David. He had an open top convertible car, and we used to say, if it started raining, David pressed a button on the dashboard. And it stopped raining. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, someone like that is the sort of person that usually ends up becoming prime minister or something, isn't it? Well, yes. Rather... When he, uh, I was at Ronnie Corbett's memorial a few days ago at Westminster Abbey. When uh, we saw Frosty off at Westminster Abbey, you know, the, the former satirist. <laughs> oh, God, Charles and Camilla, prime minister former Prime Ministers, the turnout of the establishment for Frosty at mm. Westminster Abbey. We were just mm. laughing. Extraordinary. Yeah. And yeah, he had this amazing knack, which I think is underrated, actually. Of mm. just, but when you see in, in our industry today with people who are just able to see this going with that, these people working with those people, and also giving a, a, somebody I know worked with him relatively recently, before not long before he died, and he said mm. they were making some TV special, and it wasn't going to be anything interesting particularly. But he made everybody. He gave a speech to the whole crew and everybody, and he just made them feel like they're about to make the most significant and exciting piece oh, yeah. of television yeah. they'd ever made in their lives. Yeah. And he said it was the most remarkable thing to see how he could just have that yeah. effect on people. But who else was making two series at <clears> once? <throat> one in England and one in America. Including on Concord. Yeah. Mm. 
and they're doing the joke about the stewardess saying, sorry, Mr. Frost, it's caviar again. <laughs> and we used to say this is just off the plain face. The face, the colour of porridge, but the eyes would light up immediately started working. Right. And John Major said, being interviewed by David Frost was like sitting in a warm bath, but wait for the cold shower. Right. He used to relax his guests, very affable. He really genuinely liked people, mm. but he'd relax them. And then in the same tone of voice, there would be the sort of deadly question. And they were so relaxed, yeah. they'd fall for it. I mean, to persuade the President of the United States to apologise mm. to the yeah. United States, yeah. David was giving up by then. It was a Sunday night, they were recording yeah. over the weekend. And that was a killer punch. Mm. And, get, and getting him to say, well, if the President does it, it's not illegal. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Oh, Frost. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going on and on about Frosty. And, uh, well, we did ask. So that you is, did ask. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He was superb. The Frost-Nixon movie is actually pretty decent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that. I saw it on the stage before oh, as well. Right. Frank Langella as Nixon and uh, <coughs> the great Sheen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, uh, again... Sort of talk about for, for, for people starting out, you know, there, there, there's we we don't have people like David Frost anymore, do we? I mean, how, how do you no, think for a young writer like like yourself, that suddenly somebody says, oh, "There's something about him, you know, not on his own, but I'm going to put him in a room with him." Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you could see that we got on. He used to yeah. see what uh, St Paul's Church Hall in Marylebone. We used to Frost report and all that. We used to play football at, uh, with a tennis ball at lunchtime. Frosty mm. was in goal. And he encouraged all this. He, he said, why shouldn't making a comedy show be fun? Mm. And we took the job seriously, but we laughed a lot. Mm, yeah. And I remember the last job I did years and years ago was uh, Russ Abbott with Peter Vincent. We edited it and wrote for it. And we took the job seriously, but we laughed a lot. And then as the years went by, I was invited into the studio one day. They were running through the young ones. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated. I wanted to watch this. Not much laughing going on. Very intense atmosphere. Brilliant show. But I thought, oh, loosen up. Have it's a meant laugh, to be something, fun, yeah. you know. Yeah. Let's get an atmosphere here. It was yeah. fascinating. I wonder if the, the lack of... Um, the thing is, even if you did have a David Frost now, who had this sort of ability, I think sort of maybe like the Jeffrey Perkins yeah. of the world as well, yes. more recently, yeah. it seemed. I wonder if there is less scope for this sort of person because now comedy is so fragmented, well, not just, only in terms yeah. of the audience, but in terms of previously there was the BBC who made all their own comedy. That's right. And you had IT the regions, but mainly it was Yorkshire and a few others. Yeah. And then you had LWT, and then Channel Four came along. Yeah. Um, but it was mainly BBC and the, and the ITV networks. It's straightforward, like and so, that. And there were there were sort of three or four people, and these names we keep hearing going through the annals, and a lot of people, a lot of na- a lot of stories go back to the same people. But now you have the BBC yes. making comedy for four channels with BBC Studios and 15, 20, 30 other independent production companies who are also doing the same for ITV and Channel Four and UK Gold and yes. Dave and Sky. And so it feels like everyone's been completely atomised and therefore the scope for someone taking the long view, as it were, mm. um, and just saying, well, we'll do this show. I mean, I'm sorry, I haven't the clue. In the very first instance, it was like, well, this is going to be terrible. I oh, will stick it out on Boxing Day. No one will notice. Yes. But you could take a risk. But the proliferation of that... channels is mm. crucial to it. 
it's such a massive world out there mm. now. As you were saying, it was clean cut. It was BBC, ITV when I started. In fact, it was BBC when I started. Yeah. ITV mm. kicked off in uh, 55, was it? Yeah, roughly. And you could almost, um, you could almost have someone f- fairly senior spot some young talent and sort of plan their career for them because they knew what the paths would be and you could see some, you could, they could get them onto this show, then onto that show, then they come up with their own sitcom and then that goes and then they do this and yeah. they do that. Yeah. Whereas now, not only do we not have those paths, but the people who are commissioning those shows seem to change jobs every That's two right. to three years. That's right. So there is no loyalty. No, I like talking about the past. I don't <clears> want to live there. <laughs> but looking back, we had bosses like Bill Cotton at the BBC... They were showmen. They'd actually done mm. shows. They had a real feeling for performers. Mm. Old uh, Lou Grade, Lord Grade well, on yeah, ITV, he's a showman. Mm. And if they liked a show, it got the green light. And the... Bill Cotton told me a story. He said he was sitting in his office one day and he thought, Dave Allen hasn't been on television for quite a while. So I said, I rang Dave and his agent the amazingly named Bunny Lewis, <laughs> and I took them to lunch. He said, I came back to the office and announced doing six Dave Allens. Mm. He said, now it'd be three months with a committee and no decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then well, it, I'm, I'm romanticising it, but you had bosses who would give the green light. Uh, who was it gave the green light to Spitting Image? Said, do it. Yeah. yeah. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. Spitting Image only came off because the budget got out of control. Mm. It was so expensive to make, it wasn't. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think the audience figures dipped horrendously to about 11 million or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Boy, do we need spitting image <laughs> now? Well, absolutely, yeah. although they're doing, they're, they're doing pretty well by themselves, that's the problem. Right? No, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. More from Barry Cryer next time.